We are going to start this morning in the Old Testament book of Isaiah. And we're going to read from chapter 60. I'm going to read it to you twice, actually, the first uh, five verses. And I picked this because it feels appropriate for the moment that we're in. This is a message written at a time when things seemed dark and discouraging. And God gave the prophet Isaiah a word of encouragement for the people. And Isaiah 60 says this, Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord is risen upon you. For behold, darkness shall cover the earth, and deep darkness the people. But the Lord will arise over you, and his glory will be seen upon you. Gentiles shall come to your light, and kings to the brightness of your rising. Lift up your eyes all around and see. They gather together. They come to you. Your sons come from afar, and your daughters shall be nursed at your side. Then you shall see and become radiant, and your heart shall swell with joy. What a beautiful promise God gives us that when things seem dark, he will shine bright. And this is actually a prophecy that tells about the coming light of the world. And that's what we're going to talk about this morning. We are going to talk about the light of the world and how we are called to be in the light and how we are called, in fact, to be the light. And that will be our conversation um, over the course of the next um, few minutes that we're together here in church. Let me read this again. And as you think about circumstances in your own life that may seem dark, that may seem intimidating, that may seem frightening or divided or aggravated, people you know who are hurting or broken. It's no secret that during this time of the pandemic, we've seen an enormous amount of mental health issues and people are hurting and people are sad and people are depressed. And when things are dark, God gives us this promise. Let me read it to you again. Read along, or if you want, just close your eyes and hear the words of the Lord. Let them be an encouragement to your spirit. Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord is risen upon you. For behold, darkness shall cover the earth, and deep darkness the people, but... The Lord will arise over you, and his glory will be seen upon you. The Gentiles will come to your light, and kings to the brightness of your rising. Lift up your eyes all around and see. They all gather together. They come to you. Your sons come from afar. Your daughters will be nursed at your side. Then you shall see and become radiant, and your heart shall swell with joy. Father God, may these words be true in our midst here this morning. Lord, may your light shine brightly here in this place through your word and through your people. Lord, we pray that you will shine on us, that our hearts will be encouraged today, that we will be radiant, and that our hearts will swell with joy as we will be encouraged by being in your house and hearing your words and being with your people. We pray your spirit be upon us here this morning that your will be done in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. About a year ago, we were at home uh, 
during the lockdown, everybody was at home. And uh, one day, uh, I was upstairs working. Danielle was downstairs at the kitchen table. And we got a phone call uh, from uh, WSFS Bank. We bank with WSFS. And uh, they called us and said, hey, we've noticed some irregular activity uh, on your checking account. And we just wanted to verify that it was actually you who did this. And so, oh, great, we've been through this before. You know, we've had people swipe our credit card numbers and stuff. And so, oh, you know, here, here we go again. Uh, and so um, they started to, you know, first thing they want to do is they want to verify they're actually talking to the right person. You know, hey, can I, can I get your name and, you know, your address? And uh, so they verify your zip code and they do all those things. Um, so Danielle had come upstairs and told me, hey, we've got this going on. I was able to log into our account and see, sure enough, there was some fraudulent activity um, on the account. Uh, some purchases in a Walmart and a gas station in uh, North Carolina that we hadn't been in North Carolina. And so um, the, the representative from the fraud department, um, he said his name was Jeremy, um, spent, uh, spent time kind of talking Danielle through kind of what they were going to do to rectify the problem. And um, so, you know, I know she's working on it. I kept working. Then at lunchtime, I came back downstairs, and they're still on the phone. It's like an hour later, and this conversation is still going on. And Jeremy's starting to ask questions about, you know, we want to make sure we have your social security number correct. And we want to make sure that we have your driver's license number down. And let's reset the password on your... You guys are giving me this look. I know now, <laughs> okay? <laughs> we, we realized it at some point. And so, like, we start to get skeptical. And so, you know, Danielle's, like, kind of stalling Jeremy... Uh, on the phone, you know, hey, where are you calling from? He's like, well, I'm calling from the, you know, WSFS fraud department. Where? You know, from our office in Townsend, Delaware. We're like, mm-hmm. So, so she keeps him on the line, and I got on the phone. Um, I actually called uh, Wispus. And they're like, no, there's nobody Jer- named Jeremy working in this department. Um, and uh, so we put him on speakerphone, and I'm on the phone with the other person. And they're going, okay, no, this is absolutely um, a fraud. You have to hang up right now. We're going to lock down your account. So it turns out that what had been happening while this was going on was um, that uh, Jeremy um, was using all of our information to set up another account in our name and begin transferring our money into his account. So Wispus was able to lock it down once we talked to the real people. And um, this is not a sermon about um, banking security or fraud or something like that. Um, But... Uh, and they were able to restore some of the money that uh, was taken. It actually turns out it was really clever. It was, uh, it was this, uh, this group of people, their folks, had gotten our credit card number. They were the ones who spent the fraudulent money in the first place, and then they called us to tell us about it, right? Clever, right? Um, and so, uh, but we ended up being out a chunk of money <laughs> that we really could have used <laughs> to do some repairs in our house and on the pickup, and we never got that money back. Um, and here's the question that I have out of that, right? Because it's easy for me to get angry and mad about this situation and, and Jeremy and, and what he did, but um, the question is, is Jeremy evil? Like, like is Jeremy our enemy, in that. He's probably calling from a call center, right? There are places that are set up specifically to do this kind of fraud, and there are a couple of cities around the world where the laws are kind of lax, and so there's like, you may even notice like some common accents from different places in Europe and India where, um, where there's just not good enforcement. Um, and so 
people are able to do this kind of thing. So certainly what he did was wrong, right? He stole from us. He made us feel violated. He sinned against us. He wronged us. But is he the enemy? Well, scripture speaks to this. In Ephesians 6, where Paul's talking about putting on the whole armor of God, here's what, here's what he says. We do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities and the rulers of the darkness of this age, and against spiritual hosts of wickedness. So this is a great verse from the book of Ephesians. And it causes us to say, well, slow down a second here. What is it really that is our enemy? If people aren't our enemy, it's something else. What is it? It's the rulers of the darkness of this age. And so what this tells us and what this begins to let us see is that there is darkness and there is evil in the world. And all of us have at times been in the darkness. We've been in the dark. We have been part of doing wrong to ourselves or to other people. And it's that evil. We talked last week about the the Holy Spirit, right? And we know that there is a spiritual reality at work in our world beyond what we can see and comprehend. We know the Bible teaches the reality of the Spirit of God. Angels. We also know we have an enemy, Satan. The Bible talks about demons and demonic oppression and influence. And so these are things that exist in the world that we don't necessarily see, we don't have the eyes for, but scripture is telling us you need to zoom back a little bit from what you can see. What you see in front of you is the person who did wrong to you. But you have to be able to see more than that. It's not about the person. The person is in darkness. They are actually in what the scripture sometimes calls the kingdom of darkness. And what I really hope for Jeremy is not that he gets arrested and goes to prison. That'd be nice if, you know, if he didn't steal more people's money. But what I really hope for him is that he learns the love of Jesus and is redeemed. He's not my enemy. He's someone who's deceived, and he's probably working in a call center in an impoverished area, trying to get enough money to put food on the table for his family, And maybe this is the only option he sees. And so what I should be praying for is light and hope in his life, not retribution and revenge against him. But let's recognize the reality that there is darkness in the world and there is light in the world. And that's what this is telling us. In fact, it's something that Paul talked about a little bit earlier in the book of Ephesians. In the previous chapter, he he spells this out. He says, you once were in darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. So walk as children of the light. And have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather expose them. So there is darkness, there is light, there's a difference between them, and we're going to talk about um, where we fit in that. If there's this big spiritual battle going on in the heavens from the beginning of time between the spirit of God and angels and the forces of light, and between the spirit of darkness and the power of the power such as it is of the enemy, then how do we fit um, in that? What's our role in being in the light? We're not going to talk a lot about um, spirituality and demons this morning, um, but we are going to talk about darkness and light. So I got very interested in this. Um, you know, the, the passage we read from Isaiah is about our light shining in the darkness, and, and these passages are about, you know, being in the light or being in the darkness. And so where is the first place in Scripture that it begins to talk about this? Actually, the very first chapter of the Bible, God begins to talk about light. This is the, this is the beginning of the book, right? You guys know this. Half of you can quote this without reading it. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. 
The earth was without form and void. Darkness, there's the darkness, was on the face of the deep. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. And God saw the light, that it was good. And God divided the light from the darkness. So the first thing that God does in scripture is he creates. And what does he create? Light. Before the light was there, there was the absence of light, which we call dark, right? So darkness is, in some sense, not really a thing unto itself. It's just when light's not there, things are dark. And so God created light because he wanted life to thrive. He wanted us to be able to see. And we'll see in a minute that it's kind of God's nature to bring light into the darkness. And so if you're find yourself in a dark place, this is a message of great hope for you because God has light and hope for you. The last place in the Bible where it talks about light is actually the last chapter of the Bible. So the book of Revelation, last book of the Bible, has 22 chapters. Here's the, from the last chapter. The city, this is talking about the city of heaven, has no need of the sun or the moon to shine in it. For the glory of God illuminated it. There shall be no night there. They don't need any lamp or light of the sun. For the Lord God gives them light. And they shall reign forever and ever. So do you know when you go to heaven, you don't have to turn off the lights, right? There's no daytime and nighttime. In fact, God's glory gives light to everything in heaven. I don't know exactly what that's going to be like. I'm looking forward to getting there and finding out. But the Bible opens with this notion of God giving us light. And the Bible wraps up with this notion of God giving us light. Now, in Genesis, it's literal, actual light. It's the sun. God creates the sun. And in Revelation, it's literal, actual light. The sun's not needed anymore. That was kind of a a representative of what we get one day when we're in heaven. But when we get to heaven, God gives us actual light. And everywhere in between, the Bible talks about light and darkness. And it talks about it in like a metaphorical way as well. It's a way to help us explain and understand, in our limited way, the realities of good and evil. I want to pause for one second and just make it really clear one thing that we're not talking about this morning. There have been times in the history of the church, including this church, where we've looked at a passage and we've applied an understanding to it that's not there. And so Christian people have at times taken phrases like God divided the light from the darkness and used it to describe something that's not intended. About 30 years ago, I was a teenager here in this church. We had a guest speaker who came one day Um, and said, um, use this verse and a verse that says, what fellowship has light to do with darkness to explain why God is not in favor of interracial marriage because what should light and dark have to do with each other? That is wrong. That is not what scripture is telling us here. This is talking about good and evil. This is not talking about the color of our skin. 
Scripture is very clear that God wants every tribe, every nation, every tongue, every people to worship him together with one voice in unity, in glory, in heaven. We're meant to be aligned and united, not divided. And things that divide us are from the enemy. And it's on us as God's people to understand what scripture is telling us. And when someone stands up on stage, including me here this morning, and says, hey, this is what the Bible means. Use your brain. Think. Read. Because not everything you will always hear will be exactly right. And you have to have discernment and pray and understand. Now, I actually think the guy who said that, I, I think he was, he was raised to think some things that weren't true. He was given a view of scripture that I hope he grew out of at some point. But it's wrong to say... <laughs> The divide between light and darkness that we're talking about here is meant to be between people. That's not what this is. Scripture is going above and beyond to say we are called to be united and this battle that we're talking about is a spiritual battle. Okay? I'm sorry I have to be so clear. God forgive us as your church for the times that we've misinterpreted your word, especially when we've used it to harm people. I, I repent of that, Lord. Forgive us. As a teenager, I was aghast. I couldn't believe what I was hearing. It's like, that's not what that means. (laughs) Study the word. Understand it for yourself. Use your discernment. Man, I got off track. Okay, yes, we're not talking about race. We're talking about good and evil. All right? So spiritually, there is good and there is evil. We know this, right? We understand the difference between good and evil, right? It's in our stories, our myths, our legends, right? And so we think... Good will prevail over evil. Little Red Riding Hood is sweet and innocent and pure. She's like the embodiment of innocence. There's nothing bad about her. She just wants to frolic through the forest and bring baked goods to her grandmother, right? There's nothing more pure and light and good than Little Red Riding Hood. The big bad wolf, on the other hand, is deceitful and evil. He has nothing but harm intended for her. And he wants to gobble her. He does gobble her up in some versions of the story, right? But he's pure evil. And so how do our myths and our stories work out? Well, we start with good and innocence. It's attacked by evil. All seems lost. And at the last moment, deliverance comes. The reason those stories seem so true to us is because they're actually kind of like what's really going on in the spiritual world. We are created to be innocent and pure. We're created to have this perfect relationship with God and evil comes along and attacks us. It corrupts our innocence. It hurts us. It means our harm and our destruction. And then deliverance comes. A rescuer comes. A deliverer is there. And that's the promise that Isaiah is saying, that the light is going to come and it will overcome the darkness. So we know this to be true. We feel it inside. Interestingly, last week, Pastor Tim was talking about Spider-Man. And he went and saw the Spider-Man movie. You guys were here last week. And you remember that with great power comes... Okay, did you learn that from Tim or did you learn that from Spider-Man? Be honest. <laughs> okay, so, um, but we talked about this. And here's what, here's what we noticed, right? So um, my family went to see Spider-Man. And it's a little bit different kind of a story. I won't spoil the movie for you if you haven't seen it yet. I don't know if you're even interested in watching it. But it's a little bit different because the idea is that the bad guys 
can be redeemed. They're not really that bad. They just needed another chance. Don't give up hope for them. And there's something actually really beautiful about that, right? Because no matter how bad a person gets, no matter how far into the darkness you go, you're never beyond the reach of the light. And I need that truth for myself because there have been times in my life that have been dark times. There have been places I've been in dark spots in my life. And you know what? God's grace could reach further. God's hope never abandoned me in those moments. And so I watched the movie and I was like, well, there's not really a bad guy to be defeated and conquered. It's not like the old westerns, you know, where it's going to end up at the end and the good guy's got the, I can never remember, what color hat does the good guy wear? White? And the bad guy wears the black hat. Okay, right? So then they draw their guns and the good guy shoots the bad guy and the movie ends, and, right? Um, and so the, um, the movie is not so much about the bad guy needing to get killed at the end. It's about the bad guy needing to be understood and redeemed. And I started to think about this, and a lot of our common, modern myths and stories, the, the kind of modern-day fairy tales that we tell each other, you know, that we watch in the cinemas or on our TV, they have this kind of common theme. The good guys aren't really all that good, and the bad guys aren't really all that bad. They're just misunderstood. And maybe at the end, they'll fight each other and somebody will win, but it's just as likely that they'll fall in love with each other or that they'll decide to team up, right, and work against some common problem that they both have. You know, I look at this and, I mean, these are, sorry, this is some of the, some of the shows that um, my kids and I watch. Um, so, but, like, the, the good guys on this story, on, on this screen, like, may have, like, taken a whole town hostage and brainwashed them, but they didn't mean any harm by it right? They may be running a crime syndicate, right, that kills people, but that's okay. You have to understand their backstory. They may be um, accidentally destroying the universe, um, but that's okay. You know, they meant well. And the bad guys might be terrorists, but you have to understand the person they love died, so it's okay, you know? And so, like, as you, like, you you giggle, right, but you kind of know it's true, Like, the stories that we tell today don't follow some of the ways we've always talked about stories. It's not like good will triumph over evil. It's more like there's this kind of gray area where you're kind of good and you're kind of evil and you can kind of work it out. And if you just had enough time to talk, you come out on the right side of things and and fine. But here's what I think can kind of start to happen in that is we can start to lose track of the actual reality of the universe, That there is good and there is evil. And if as you're watching stories, you're always thinking, well, this person isn't really evil. They're okay. They just need another chance. Then you can start to forget that there is such a thing as evil. And we are called to have nothing to do with it. To stay far away from it. And I don't want to spend a lot of time talking about the darkness today. We're going to take a minute and talk about the darkness so that we can understand the importance of not being in the darkness, of moving into the light. A couple of weeks ago, Pastor Allen mentioned um, listening to a talk by a woman named Christine Kane. And Christine Kane leads a ministry called A21 um, that works with victims of trafficking, uh, rescues girls out of trafficking. And um, 
Danielle and I are, are reading a book by her right now called Undaunted, and in the first chapter she tells a really hard story to read. Um, and I won't tell you all the details, but uh, it's a story of Nadia. Nadia grew up in the uh, Eastern European nation of Georgia in a family that had a lot of love, but not a lot of money. And Nadia dreamed of, as a young girl, being able to go become a nurse. Like she wanted to serve people. But girls weren't really encouraged to get education. They were encouraged to raise babies. And so very often they'd go to a couple years of school and that would be it. And so when a couple weeks before her 17th birthday, Nadia was at the bus stop with her girlfriends waiting to go to school. And a couple of men came up to them and said, hey, uh, if you guys are interested, we're going to be having a meeting to talk about opportunities for jobs in other countries. You know, it's on this coming Friday night. Uh, Come out and be a part of it. So Nadia and a bunch of her friends, you know, went home, talked to their families about it, got excited, came to the meeting, and the men said, there are jobs in Greece, and um, there's jobs in restaurants, there's jobs in hospitals, um, there's jobs as teachers, and we will help you get your paperwork, get your visas, and we'll go help you get jobs in Greece. And so the family put their money together to help Nadia get enough money to be able to go have a chance at a better life in Greece. And she felt like her dream was going to come true. When she got off the plane in Greece, she was met by a woman who didn't speak any Russian, so there was no communication, but this woman took Nadia to her room. That was going to be her room. Locked the window, locked the door, and shortly thereafter, men began coming in. And Nadia was beaten, brutalized, and violated, ways that we're not going to talk about. Dozens of times a day for the next several months. And Nadia's dreams died within her. The darkness overtook her and felt totally inescapable. Until one day, one of the men who left her room forgot to lock the window. So Nadia was able to open it up and say a prayer to a God she wasn't sure she believed in anymore and jump from a third-story window to her death on the pavement below. So, darkness, when we talk about the kingdom of darkness, it's not a fairy tale idea of something that has no impact on our lives. Darkness is a real thing. The world has evil in it. And we need to be aware of that. But let me tell you something about the darkness. It has no power compared to the power of the light. How much darkness does it take to put out the light? Darkness cannot put out light. How much light does it take to drive back the darkness? The smallest amount. You ever lit a match in a dark room? The darkness flees from the light. It has to. That's the way it works. And when things seem hopeless and inescapable, they're not. Even in Nadia's story, when she jumped to the pavement below, somehow, she was unharmed. She went three stories, hit the pavement, and was fine. She thought she was dead because a woman rushed up to her and started speaking to her in Russian, which was the only language she spoke. She hadn't heard it in forever. And this woman was like, are you okay? And Nadia was like, she, she like asked, am I, am I in heaven? And the woman was like, No. But she heard her story, took her to the police station. The police were able to crack down on this brothel. And 
Nadia was put in touch with the ministry of A21. And it's one of stories of evil that doesn't just happen across the world, right? But light has power to break through in even the darkest situations. And so as we talk about darkness, I want you to know that the darkness that's out there in the world and the darkness that's right here in my very own heart all come from the enemy. It's worth understanding, but it's not worth being afraid of because the light is more powerful. Darkness is often seductive at first. It seems appealing. It promises you something it can't really deliver on, and then it becomes a prison. Darkness imprisons us. Sin enslaves us through lies. Things that we think we may want. A little bit more money. A little bit more power. A little bit more pleasure. A little bit more satisfaction. A little bit more comfort. But then the things that we chase that aren't God further we go into the darkness, we feel trapped. And we know that this kingdom of darkness seeks to destroy you. Its goal is to separate you from God. God's greatest desire is for your redemption, your restoration to him. He wants your wholeness. And so the enemy wants to destroy that relationship between you and God. Darkness will cloud your mind with lies. And when you hear voices inside your head telling you you're not good enough, you're not strong enough, You're not wealthy enough. You're not pretty enough. Your job's not important enough. You're not thin enough. You're not whatever enough. You are enough. With God, you are enough. God loves you. You are his masterpiece. And it's a lie that tells you you're not. And that anything besides Jesus is going to bring you satisfaction. But darkness will cloud your mind with lies and take you to hopeless, empty, painful places. It feels inescapable, and it's not. It's not inescapable. And if you feel like you're in a spot today that feels totally inescapable, you feel there's no hope, I have news for you. There's light, and it will shine through the darkness. Because the darkness has no power against the light. That's the nature of what light and darkness are. Colossians 1, 13 says this, He has delivered us from the power of darkness. Darkness has a power, right? There's a certain kind of power to sin. It's attractive at times, right? It traps us at times. So let's don't fool ourselves and think there's no power there, okay? But guess what? (laughs) He's delivered us from that power. He's delivered us from our sin. He's delivered us from the things that would hurt us, trap us, and tempt us. He's conveyed us out of that kingdom and into the kingdom of the Son of His love, in whom we have redemption, We are made new. We are restored. We are no longer the person that we were when we were in darkness. And it was costly for that to happen. It took the shedding of the blood of Jesus on the cross to break the power of darkness once and for all and move us into forgiveness and new light and new hope. That's the fulfillment of Isaiah 60 that we read earlier. Isaiah is longing for this day. When we will arise and shine and the light will come, he feels the sense of darkness, but he knows the glory of the Lord will rise upon you. For behold, the darkness shall cover the earth. Deep darkness will cover the people. But we don't stop with the darkness. (laughs) The Lord will arise over you and his glory will be seen upon you. And so what Colossians is telling us and what this passage is telling us is that this prophecy is fulfilled in Jesus When he stands up in John chapter 8 and he says, 
I am the light of the world. He who follows me does not walk in darkness, but has the light of life. And so if you feel trapped in the darkness this morning, praise God, Jesus wants to deliver you from that and into the light of life. But here's what happens. We're Christians. We're delivered from the darkness. We're in the light. We walk in the light. And Jesus says there's another thing we have to reckon with as Christians. And it's this. Jesus says this in John chapter 3. This is right after he says, you guys know John 3.16, right? About God loved the world. He came to redeem. God didn't come to condemn. He came to redeem. He says this. This is the condemnation. Light came into the world. Talking about himself. The light has come into the world. But men love darkness rather than the light. Because their deeds are evil. For everyone practicing evil hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his deeds should be exposed. But he who does the truth comes to the light, that his deeds may be clearly seen, that they have been done in God. So what is Jesus saying here? He's saying that we've been delivered into the kingdom of light, but yet, Something in our heart still loves the darkness. Still loves the darkness. In fact, loves the darkness better than the light. That's a harsh thing for him to say. But here's the reality, is that when when Pastor Allen stands up here on Sunday mornings and he tells us, you know, stop it, stop sinning, break those patterns of sin in your life, he's not trying to ruin your fun. He's trying to tell you, God bought you at a great price to take you out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. Don't play around with the darkness. It's not good for you. We all have competing things that we love, right? I love this and I love this. I love getting a good night's sleep and I love staying up and watching the football game. Which do I love more? Well, the proof is going to be, did I go to bed or did I stay up late and watch it? I love to be healthy and I also love chocolate milkshakes. So in any given moment, which am I going to choose? Am I going to choose to be healthy? Am I going to choose the chocolate milkshake? Very often, it could be said of me, this is the condemnation. Health came into the world, but Seth loved the milkshake better than he loved his health. (laughs) So we understand this notion of, like, there's more than one thing that we love, right? And we kind of have this thing going on in us. We We have light, the kingdom of light, that we know we're redeemed to. That's who we want to be. And yet, time after time, we feel the temptation of darkness to keep going back to patterns of sin that God has already delivered us from. How do we think about that? You may have heard this before, but there's a, um, there's a story out of the Cherokee people, and it's a story of a grandfather and a grandson. And the grandson has been wronged by a friend. He's angry. He's hurt. wants to get revenge. But it's his friend. So he feels torn. What do I do? So his grandfather says to him, I understand how you feel. I often feel like inside of me are two wolves. There's one wolf that's angry, that wants revenge, that is fierce and bad. And there's another wolf inside of me that wants peace 
that wants harmony, that wants to get along with other living things. And they're constantly at battle. And I feel the turmoil inside of me of these two wolves battling. And the grandson says to his grandfather, Grandfather, which will win? And the grandfather says, The one I feed. And we understand that. We have darkness. We have light. And sometimes, if I'm feeding the darkness, I'm going to start to love it more. I start to give in one more time. I start to take advantage one more time. I start to get mine one more time. And I go by the rules of the kingdom of darkness just a little bit more. I still love the light. But you know what my actions say? They say I love the darkness in that moment a little bit more. And so when we, when we say we want to live as children of the light, we want to walk as children of the light, sometimes what that means is you need to feed the light inside of you a little bit more often. What are the things that you are feeding to your soul? I showed you some of the stuff that I've been feeding my brain, right? Some of the TV shows we've been watching. And then some of that stuff's innocuous, and some of it's, you know, there's better things I could do with my time. But I hope I'm feeding my soul more often from the Word of God than I am from the online streaming service. I hope that I'm feeding my soul more often and being in the presence of God and with you here in this place than I am feeding my soul with TikTok or YouTube or whatever feeds me. And it's easy to see, like, there are different things that compete for our attention and our love. And so sometimes we need to learn to hate the sin in our lives. Sometimes we just need to learn to love God a little bit more than we love the sin. (laughs) And recognize that the sin that we choose separates us from the light of God, that he wants to bring us deliverance in our lives. All right, I'd rather talk about the light than the darkness. So let's talk about the light. The light is sometimes blinding at first. You ever had this experience? The light comes on in the middle of the night, you're half asleep, you can't see a thing, you're blinded. You've been, you've been inside at the, you know, someplace, a theater or a grocery store, you walk out and it's bright daytime, you can't see anything. And the light can see blinding. And sometimes coming to Christ can be like that, right? The, what God asks us for seems daunting. It seems impo- like God really wants me to do that. He wants to be Lord of every part of my life. Yes, that's blinding. How am I going to do that? But it's the only way we can see. You can't see without light. You can't live without light. Light seeks to forgive you and restore you to God. While the kingdom of darkness wants to destroy you, the kingdom of light, God's spirit wants to restore you. He wants to restore you to who you were created to be before the big bad wolf came along in your life. (laughs) He wants to set you free with truth and the light is a hopeful and healing place to be. Sometimes it seems too good to be true, but it's not. And the light has absolutely nothing to fear from the darkness. This is the nature of light. And then understanding this, the prophecy that Isaiah gave, that one day we would live in this, we would be in this kind of place, we would have this kind of light. And Jesus saying, I am the light of the world. I fulfill the prophecy. Here I am. 
and getting crucified for it. Jesus says another thing that is astounding to me. Jesus then says this. He says, you are the light of the world. Jesus stood before the world and said, I am the light of the world. And then he stood in the Sermon on the Mount and he says to us, you are the light of the world. How can that be right? Jesus is the light. How can I be the light? How can you be the light? Does he really mean that? You? You are the light? Yes. You are the light of the world. You carry his light into the darkness. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. How can I be the light? Maybe you think, well, the professionals, they're the ones who really bring the light, right? And if I was going to think of, like, what kind of light is Pastor Tim, right? So maybe you think of Tim, and he's one of those, like, light towers, you know, with the generator at the bottom that you take to the upward game, right? You put Tim in the middle of a football field, he's going to light the whole place up, right? I know you feel that way, and I feel your disappointment in uh, me being preaching this morning when you were hoping to hear him. I'm sorry. (laughs) That's the wrong way to think, right? Okay, but in the same way, like, you can't think of it that way, right? Jesus is saying, let your light shine. You're not supposed to let Tim's light shine. Tim's supposed to let Tim's light shine. You know, maybe you think, Pastor Allen, you know, every time you come here on Sunday mornings, he lights up this place with the word of the Lord. And so you think, Pastor Allen is the kind of place that, the kind of light that lights up a sanctuary. So you think, Pastor Allen is just like a, A chandelier. (laughs) But you can't think like that. (laughs) Here's what Jesus says, okay? And right after he says, you are the light of the world, he says, nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand. And it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. So Jesus is saying, you are the light of the world. And then he doesn't say, therefore try to be like the sun. Therefore try to be like the light tower. He says, you're a lamp. And the lamp in those times weren't like a halogen bulb on a light switch, right? It was those, those little um, brass lamps, like maybe you think of like the Aladdin, you know, and you rub it and get three wishes and all that, right? It's that kind of lamp with a, with a little wick that you had to light. And you'd be careful not to, not to break it or, or quench it when it was smoldering, right? It's that kind of light. And Jesus says, whatever your light is, don't hide it. Be on a lampstand. Be out there for people to see. Be bold. Let your light shine. Give light to whatever house that you're in. And so you don't have to be the high beams of a pickup truck to bring light. You can be a candle. You can be a campfire. Be a warm, inviting light in the places that you are. Let your light so shine before men. How in the world could I do that? How can I be that kind of light? Let me remind you for a moment of what we talked about last week. Last week, we were in here, and we talked about the power of God, and we talked about the Spirit of God. How can you be the light in your world? There's only one way. 
by the Spirit of God being active and present in your life and God's power, which is in you and on you, lighting up the world around you. And if you say, I can't be that light, are you really saying God can't be that light? Are you saying God's power is not enough to reach your friends in your workplace? No, don't say that. Because we know that through God's power, the salvation of the world is happening and God will work through you if you will let your light so shine. But here's what we do. Christian people, sometimes we act like we need to be afraid of the darkness. And so we have this light and we do this exact thing. We put a basket over it. So I go into my workplace and I don't really want the people there to know I'm a Christian. They might think there's something wrong with me. So I kind of keep it to myself. And I don't put too much on my, my social media about, about Jesus because I don't want people to think I'm one of them crazy Jesus people. And when someone's going through a hard time, you know, I, maybe I'll say, well, hey, I'll pray for you. But what if instead of saying, hey, I'll pray for you, what if we actually prayed for people? What if when someone was going through a hard time, we said, hey, can I pray with you right now? I don't know what that would be. But we act like we need to be afraid. We hide our light. We're timid. We're embarrassed of it. And God is saying, no, you are the light of the world. Through my power, through my spirit, light up the darkness right where you are. Be the light. Be the light. How can I be the light? Just look for those opportunities to share the love of Jesus with people. When you're In a conversation, pray with people, pray for people. Remember the power of God is at work in and through you. (laughs) Maybe you come this morning and you feel like, you know what? I might still be in that dark place. I might be in that hopeless place. I feel trapped. I don't know how to get unstuck from where I am. We would love to talk to you this morning about how to find faith in Jesus, the redemption of your sin, the forgiveness bought by his blood. You don't have to be trapped. You don't have to be stuck. You don't have to be enslaved by those patterns of sin. You can find freedom in Jesus. And I think it's good for all of us every day to examine our own hearts and ask this question. Are there still places where I love the darkness? Are there still places where I'm playing around with sin that I know I've been redeemed from And what is it that I really actually love? And do I love, do I need to love the light a little bit more? What am I feeding inside of me? Church, be the light. Don't be afraid. Don't be timid. Don't be embarrassed. Don't think, I don't know enough to be the light. Jesus said, you already are the light. You, Christian, are are delivered from the power of darkness. (laughs) You are delivered. You are a new creation. You are not the person who was stuck. You are not the person who did those things. You have been transformed into the likeness of Jesus. And when you are a Christian, God looks at you. He sees not your sin. He sees not your past. He sees his son, Jesus, who is perfect. And so God sees you as his perfect beloved child. You are delivered from the power of darkness. Walk as a child of the light. Act like it. You've been saved. (laughs) Let people know. Share the light. Be the light of your world. We talked at the very beginning 
how our world is sometimes in a dark place right now. You don't have to know all the answers to encourage someone. You don't have to be an expert on the scripture to pray with someone. And when you find yourself in a dark place with someone who's confused or trapped or stuck, let the word Jesus come out of your mouth. Can I just challenge you to do that? Have the name of Jesus be on your lips at some point this week. Let people know that Jesus loves them. Let somebody know what Jesus has done in your own heart. If you can go through a whole week without the name of Jesus coming on your lips, then you can do more to be the light in the space that you are. Do it this week. Speak the name of Jesus in your workplace, in your friendships, in your family, with people that already know him. Give him glory for people who don't. Encourage them. Tell them Jesus loves them. Be the light of your world. When all seems dark, God's people, arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord is risen upon you. Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much for your word. Lord, thank you for delivering us from a power that we could never deliver ourselves from. Lord, thank you for redeeming us, for taking us out of the hopelessness of darkness that we know was the fact that you weren't in those decisions for us. You weren't, you weren't in those moments and the dark was just the absence of your light. Help us not to go back to those dark places. But God, help us to be the light in our world. God, you are the light of the world and somehow, miraculously, in a way I can barely understand, you tell me, you tell us that we are the light of the world. Help us to shine bright this week. Help us to lift up our eyes and look to you, to speak your name, to encourage your people. In Jesus' name, amen.